That was delayed. Good morning. All right. I know it's cold outside, but we got to wake up. I grew up Baptist, so I just want to remind you of that. So turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. As, uh, I, I was extremely happy to be asked to come fill the pulpit this weekend, and uh, as I was praying about and thinking about what, what topic we should dwell on, uh, waiting came up. How many of you guys are huge Christmas fans? Anybody? Christmas fans? Yes. How many of you guys immediately get the post-Christmas depression as soon as it's over? Yeah? As I was growing up, my favorite holiday was Christmas, probably selfishly because, you know, you get presents and stuff. And so I would look forward to Christmas, and it seemed like it took forever to come. Now, as you get older, it seems like it's here before you know it. Amen? Like, when you're young, you think, man, this is taking too long. When you're older, you think, this went by so fast. But when I was young, I would wait and wait and wait for Christmas, and Christmas would come, and it would be this torrent of opening presents and being really excited about them for about a day, and then the next day, you're just like, well, what do I do now? And it gets that way with holidays sometimes, right? We wait for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes. We get to hang out with families uh, for most of us, and then that goes, and before Thanksgiving is even over, we're waiting for Christmas. And then Christmas comes, and, and some people get sort of excited about New Year's, but, but not nearly as much as Christmas. So then it just seems like we're waiting on something. And when you live in Iowa, it is a terrible wait, right? Because we get this. We get snow, and snow that you can't even enjoy because it's too cold to enjoy the snow. Yeah? Nobody warned me about that when I came to Iowa. They said there'd be a lot of snow they didn't tell me you can't really enjoy the snow because it's too cold to go outside. And so you just get in this, this pattern of waiting, and it seems like it takes forever. How many of you guys, does anybody in here practice, like, observing Advent as a season, doing devotionals leading up to Christmas or anything like that? Anybody? See, now, I never grew up with that. I grew up, uh, as, as I said, I grew up Baptist, and so Advent wasn't really even a word that I knew until I was older. And once I discovered the, the season of Advent and doing devotional readings leading up to that, our family actually had an Advent devotional that we used periodically uh, waiting for Christmas. But Advent actually means like patiently, ex expectantly waiting. And so as we celebrate during the Christmas season, waiting for the Messiah, we know that he has come so we can celebrate it even more. But, but there's also, as Christians, there's a second Advent, right? Jesus has come once, and now we're in this period of waiting for Jesus to come back, which is supposed to be our hope as believers. And this is what Peter's going to remind us of in, in 2 Peter, is this idea of expecting Jesus to return, but not fearfully expecting Jesus to return, but excitedly and, and patiently expecting Jesus to return. And, and how are we supposed to live and behave in this second advent? But let's just remind ourselves we are terrible at waiting, yeah? I, I, I don't know how many times, see, I'm a youth pastor at, uh, at Stonebridge Church down in Cedar Rapids, and so I always have to explain to students that they don't have any idea about what it really means to wait for the internet, yeah? Because I remember the internet first being a thing. I remember life before any internet and when the internet first showed up, I remember the first time I used the internet was to do a research paper on C.S. Lewis when I was a senior in high school. 
and you had to wait for the dial-up to grab. And does anyone remember the sound, the sound that will haunt you for the rest of your life of the internet actually hooking up or loading? It was a, this terrible screechy, and if you're young enough in here, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I would love for you to even look it up. Look up the sound file on YouTube and you will understand the pain that your parents endured in waiting for the internet. But we have these wonderful things now where if you had told me when I was young that someday we would have phones that you can touch with your fingers to make things happen, to play games on, and to pull up the internet at the tap of a finger, I would say that you were crazy. Because that was not like that when I was young. And if you're in here and you're like that, say amen. It was not like that when we were young. But now what happens? Even those of us who experience the waiting of the dial-up, now when we have to wait like an extra five minutes for the Wi-Fi to load something, how frustrated are you? Oh, this Wi-Fi is so slow. Oh, yeah, it took a minute to load your web page. That must be excruciating. Yeah? We're not good at waiting on that. We're also not good at waiting for, like, food. Yes? Because we're so, we're so uh, ingrained with this idea that fast food, I should be able to walk into a place, immediately say cheeseburger, and have it right in front of me, like right then to eat it. But that's, that's like spoiled. That's, in, that's insane. It's unheard of that we get that upset about having to wait for something. We are terribly impatient as a culture. We want things and we want them now. And even with spiritual growth, Many of us don't have the patience. Many of us don't have the resiliency to actually wait for spiritual growth. We're bad at waiting. And what happens when we're bad at waiting is we start to turn to other things to, to help us. And this is what Peter encountered even at this point in time in history when he wrote his epistles, when he wrote his letters encouraging Christians, is that we're bad at waiting. And Peter wants to, to show us how to wait well. How do we become people who are waiting well, growing spiritually, expecting Christ's return joyously? We're going to look at that this morning. If you're there already in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at just four verses um, today, verses 14 through 18. Uh, and I want you guys, if you will, just stand up with me. Let's read this passage of scripture together. And, uh, and then we're going to ask that the Lord will bless the hearing of the word. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, we would ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to understand your word and, uh, Lord, that you would remind us of things that many of us already know, but we tend to forget. And, Father, that you would help us to be people who, who wait well, who are expecting wonderful things, who have our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who are looking forward to the day when Christ shall return, not because we're trying to escape the world, but because we realize that Christ in all his glory is the most beautiful thing in the universe. And Father, we know that one day, all these things that we war against, all these things that we fight against, all the the trial and struggle and all the sin that weighs us down will be removed and we will be able to enjoy unbroken fellowship with you. We look forward to that, Lord, and we would ask that you would call our hearts and call our eyes up to something wonderful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, this morning, we're going to try to answer what allows Christians to patiently wait for Christ's return. So I've got just three things that Peter outlines in these four verses that I think will help us. And I'm going to bounce back to other parts in, in 2 Peter, where in this letter he's, he's helping us understand uh, how to grow in grace and how to live with hope. The first thing is this. We, we wait well when we are inspired by hope. We wait well when we've got something that we're waiting for, right? We, we do well generally waiting for Christmas because we're excited about Christmas. Now, I don't know if any of you are like super Christmas decorators, like lights all on the outside of the house. Like we have a, we have a family in our church, and I kid you not, and uh, they have seven Christmas trees in their home, seven Christmas trees around Christmas, all are themed, decorated with different themes. I don't even have the capacity for understanding how that's possible but they just really love Christmas, right? So as soon as it's time to decorate, they want to go nuts. Why? Because it's a a hopeful thing for them. They love the season. They love to celebrate it. So they start preparing for it. They wait expectantly for it because they're, they're hoping for it. They're excited about the season. So good waiting or waiting well is always inspired by hope. If you're looking forward to something, you will wait well for it. You will prepare well for it. And Peter speaks of the hope that we are supposed to have. Now I'm going to bounce back to verse 13 because Peter says here, uh, look at the very beginning of verse 14, we see the word therefore. Everybody say therefore. Okay, so the rule of scripture, one of the rules of scripture is anytime you see the word therefore, the question you ask is what's it there for? Right? So what comes before it? If you see the word therefore, What's before it is very important. What's it there for? So look at verse 13. Uh, But according to his promise, Peter says, we are waiting for what? For new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, it is true that we as Christians are supposed to be waiting for uh, heaven. But what gets lost in the translation is we tend to think of heaven as just a place, right? A place where everything is perfect and everybody wants to go to heaven, let's be honest, right? Like even someone who would be an atheist would like to spend their eternity in a place where everything is paradise, right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves. The problem with the concept of heaven as it's understood by a lot of uh, sort of American culture is that everybody, and people have said this before, everybody wants to go to heaven, but not a lot of people would care that God was there. You understand? Like heaven itself as a concept is like, would you like to someday live in a place that's perfect? People would say yes. But if you were to say, would you love to live in perfect relationship with the God who created you? Many people would say, well, I, I just don't want to be bothered. I just want to be in a place that's, that's perfect, right? But I want you to, to see what Peter writes about new heavens and a new earth. He says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Now, the emphasis that Peter places on here in terms of the hope that we have for heaven is not as much about the perfection of the place as the character of it being completely void of anything sinful, completely void of any selfish desires because it is where righteousness dwells. And the implication there for us is that as people who will spend eternity in the place where righteousness dwells, that means that we ourselves will be fully righteous. And what Peter is driving us towards here is if this is our destiny, if our destiny as Christians is to live in a place that is the place where righteousness dwells, Peter says, shouldn't we be the type of people who are practicing this reality now? Yeah? If our hope is that someday we will be in a place where perfect righteousness is at, where God's perfection exists and nothing that mars that perfection is allowed to be there, Peter is asking us to set our hope fully, not just on a place. This is not an escapism, right? Heaven, as it's delivered by Scripture, is not an escapism to where we say, well, I can't wait to get out of this nasty earth to be in a place where there is no sin. Because what Peter says all throughout this letter, and I want to, I want to pull you back to a couple times in, in verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, Verse 4, Peter says, By which he has granted to us his precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, Peter, when he speaks of escaping from sin, is not speaking in the eschatological sense of saying, well, one day you're going to escape from the power of sin. Peter says that those of us who have been saved have escaped the corruption of sin now. Do you understand? This is not like a future escapism. And then he says again in chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, and speaking of false teachers, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual, sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So one of the things that Peter corrects is, yes, our hope is for a future when Christ will return and there will be a new heavens and a new earth but it's a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it doesn't make us as Christians, it doesn't make us escapists to where our position is, well, I just can't wait to get out of the world. It makes us hopeful for a reality that Christ has already begun now in our lives through his Holy Spirit. So that we can wait well with hope here, not because we're just longing to escape from this nasty, dirty world, but because we know that Christ has given us a down payment or a deposit of the Holy Spirit, knowing what's coming and how great it will be, that we can live in the reality of righteousness now and hope for the fullness of it in the future. But we are inspired by hope. But look at verse 14. Peter says that this inspiration of hope makes us diligent. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, since you are waiting for a future in which righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, this is a tricky passage because Peter tells us to be diligent. Or it's the same as back in chapter 1. So if you, if you let's, and I'm going to have you flip back and forth because Peter is tying things together at the end of the book here. But, but in chapter 1, he, he says, uh, verse 5, For this reason, 
make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so what he says at the end is be diligent, which is the same thing as what he says in the beginning when he says make every effort. Now, here's a a theological sort of uh, crux for us. We know or are told in scripture that we are not righteous because of our own work, yes? It's by grace that we have been saved, not through works. So we can't work ourselves into a righteous position. The righteousness that we have as Christians is delivered to us by Christ. He has taken our sin on the cross and he has exchanged it uh, for his righteousness. We get his righteous standing, he takes the penalty for our sin, yes? That's how we are saved. That's where we get our righteousness. When Peter says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, well, how, how can we be diligent to be found without spot or blemish if it's Christ that has taken our spot, taken our blemish, right? But this is what happens to some people fall into being lazy with their faith because they think, well, Jesus, since I have Christ's righteousness, I don't really have to work hard for it at all. But the tricky thing about scripture is we're still told to be diligent. We're still told to make every effort. We're still told to struggle against sin and to kill sin and to walk in righteousness. So there's this tension that Peter introduces where he says, you know, if you are hopeful for the reality of righteousness for eternity, you will be a person who is diligent to see that lived out in your life. Christ has made us spotless in our position, and our response to our standing is to walk in what we are, right? To walk in our identity. So Peter says, be diligent. Work at walking in this righteous standing that you have. And he he ends it by saying this, and at peace. Peace with Christ motivates holy living because we prepare for what we are expecting. We prepare for what we're expecting, okay? Uh, Let me give you an illustration. So if somebody is going to get married, like if somebody's getting married within the next year, what is the next year going to be about? Preparation, yes, typically, like all, pretty much all year long, yes? We're preparing for this wedding. I mean, it's bad enough even in, even in our current culture. Again, as a youth pastor, I see this all the time. Uh, we've gotten to the place now where proms are almost on the same level as weddings, yeah? Like the proposals for proms are more extravagant than my proposal to my wife for a wedding, which I think is, is ridiculous. But, uh, but the preparation even for things like that, you prepare for what you're expecting. So if you're getting married, you're preparing to the end of expecting something fabulous, if you're having a child, what are you preparing for? Well, you're, you're setting up a new room probably for this baby and you're painting walls and you're, you're buying all these things that you're going to need and you're, you're uh, signing up for a registry so that people can buy you these gifts for this baby, but you are preparing for what you are expecting. Peter tells us to be diligent in our preparation for what is going to be our future because we have to be reminded to prepare for what we're expecting. Because let's be honest, we are really bad about this spiritually, yeah? That's why Peter says, I'm giving you these reminders. In the beginning of 2 Peter, in the beginning of this letter, he says, I will constantly remind you of these things. Why? Because we forget about them. And one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves as believers is, what is my hope? What am I expecting? And am I preparing to that end? 
Have I fallen into the place of seeing this world as so comfortable that I've taken my eyes off of what I should be expecting and preparing for, and I get swept up in, in all the things that the world is about? We should be expecting and preparing for Christ, his return, the, the dwelling in righteousness with him that Peter reminds us of, to be diligent. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, Peter actually says that there are measurable qualities of life in Christ. So what does our preparation look like? Again, so I'm going to take you back to the passage that I just read through, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. There are measurable qualities of life in Christ. If you would say, well, I don't know what it looks like. What is... What is Walking with Jesus actually look like measurably. And some people would say, well, you can't really measure spiritual growth. Peter says, yes, you can. You can measure spiritual growth. What does it look like? He says, supplement your faith with virtue. And that's, virtue is moral, moral rightness, right? Living in, in a moral way in accordance with God's word. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. But look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying that being diligent or making every effort to grow in these qualities actually increases our knowledge of and appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we often get that turned around. We think, well, if I can grow in my understanding and appreciation for Jesus, then I will grow in all these qualities. But Peter actually flips that and says, if you are being diligent to be found without spot and blemish, if your motivation is to live for Christ, then as you increase in these qualities, your knowledge of Christ will increase experientially. But we, we prepare for what we are expecting. And we want to identify with the source of our hope. Look at verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So Peter says, why are we waiting why is it that we are waiting? Have you ever wondered why when Christ saves us, we don't just immediately get zipped to heaven? Right? If the point of it is just to become immediately perfect, right? If the point of salvation is to be completely restored to right relationship with God, why doesn't, when we're saved, why don't we just immediately go to heaven? Have you ever thought about this? And it's been couched in other terms. Why do Christians still sin? I don't know if you've ever struggled with that thought, but I have. Why is it that God allows us to still be bogged down by sinful desires once we're saved? Earlier in this chapter, Peter actually says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, uh, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Peter says this again in his closing remarks. He says, listen, here's the reason why we're waiting. We're waiting because God is good and he is patient. And in his patience, not only is he extending an opportunity for those who are not saved to repent and come to know him, but brothers and sisters in Christ, he is extending us a wonderful opportunity to experience his grace and mercy in increasing measure as we fall into error and repent 
and are restored because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to experience the process of being sanctified, which is a good thing for us. It's hard for us to understand how sin in our lives could ever result in anything good. But Peter actually says that this is a work of God's grace. God saves us, and he allows us to have this period of experiencing his goodness more and more and more. And one day, when we are fully made perfect, we will appreciate even more how amazing that perfect righteousness is because we've had to grow in it throughout a lifetime. So Peter tells us this is, this is a good thing. We, we can be hopeful. We can identify with the source of our hope and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, not only as an opportunity for other people to come to know him, but an opportunity for us to know him in increasing measure. And if that's not your joy, I would just, I would encourage you to, to pray about that, to see how great a grace it is that God grants us the grace of confession and repentance, that when we sin, we can go to him freely and say, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, this has been covered, and enjoy the restoration to fellowship. This is a grace that he has given us. It's not just something to get through. It's something to experience with joy. And I want to remind us that as Christians, that as we are waiting, one of the things that Peter implies too is that we should be concerned with the salvation of people who are not saved, right? Like we're not just waiting to escape. We're not just waiting to run out of the world. We have the opportunity, for those of us who know Jesus, we have the opportunity to go to those who don't and to proclaim the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ and to pray for them and pray with them and extend to them that God has granted them in his kindness the opportunity to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. This is something good that he's given us. And Peter actually says this is the business that we should be about. That even as we live in a world that's bogged down with sin, that we never get to where we're Eeyore about it, to where we're like, oh, things are terrible. You know, the nation is terrible. The world is terrible. But we have a message of hope that Jesus is returning, but that he's not returning yet so that people who don't know him have a chance to repent. That's the good news. That God didn't just say, you know, I'm going to wipe them all out again, but this time I'm just going to start all over. We see in the Old Testament, he says that to Moses. Moses, I'm just going to wipe everybody out. I'm going to restart with you. Moses says, no, don't do that. Because if you do that, then they'll say you're not mighty enough to save. And God has given us an opportunity to repent. And for those of us who have repented and have a relationship with Christ, he's given us an opportunity to grow in his grace and to be bearers of the gospel. The second thing that Peter brings up is that waiting well is always supported with knowledge. And this is, happens in verses 15 and 16. Because what was happening here in the context of what Peter's writing about is there were some false teachers that creeped in to the church. And you can read, read through this uh, in chapter 2. And incidentally, uh, there's a really awesome parallel between 2 Peter and the book of Jude in which it seems like they're saying pretty much the same thing, especially as it results in false teachers. But... There were teachers and people that were creeping into the church who were basically saying, well, Jesus hasn't returned yet, so do we really even need to worry about this? Maybe this is not really that big a deal. And what that allowed them to do was to say, therefore, sin is not really that big a deal, right? How we live is not really that big a deal because maybe, maybe this promise of Christ returning again is not true. And if that promise is not true, how can we really count on anything that God has, has told us? Now, you might think, well, it's pretty weird that this would creep into the church. 
But I submit to you that this is in the church now. That this same attitude of, well, maybe, maybe God is not really going to fulfill all his promises. This is in the American evangelical church now, even in many denominations in, in great measure. That the, the idea of holiness and living by God's word and living by the teachings of scripture has gone away because there are even many denominations and many churches who don't even think that God's word, don't even think that the Bible is inerrant and is inspired. They just think it's a collection of things that are nice and we can live by the example of Jesus, but it doesn't really matter how we live. And all those passages that talk about holiness in specifics, maybe that's not really what God meant. Maybe we've seen it wrong, and there's stuff that we just don't understand, and so we can do whatever we want. Why? Because sin is not that big a deal, because Christ died. This is what was happening in Peter's day. And so Peter has to set himself against this false teaching, and he has to remind us that Scripture is vital. The knowledge in Scripture is vital for us, and that God's patient plan is supported by Scripture. He is not slow he is intentional, right? God is not slow to fulfill his promises. He is intentional. And you know, if you look back at the Old Testament, you can see that in Israel's waiting period for the Messiah, how off they got. Israel was waiting for the Messiah for many, many years. They had the prophecies in scripture of who the Messiah was going to be. But what happened when the Messiah showed up? No one knew him. When Jesus finally showed up and said, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, when he showed up and said, I and the Father are one, they, they couldn't recognize him. Because in the, in the sort of the in-between time of waiting for the Messiah, they had created their own religious patterns. They had created almost their own separate belief system that was sort of loosely based on scripture, but they started adding a bunch of rules to it, and it became more about a, a society status thing than it became about actually expectantly waiting on the Messiah. So when he showed up, they didn't even know who he was. And so Peter says, I don't want you as Christians, as those who are following Christ, I don't want you to become the type of people who in the waiting period lose sight of what's true. So look at verse 15 and 16. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And so Peter uses Paul as an example and says, listen, Paul has written about these same things, that God is patient and that his promises are true. Look at verse 16. As he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these manners. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Now, there, I'm going to stop there for a second. It's really funny to me that Peter says about Paul's writing, some of the things that Paul says are, are hard to understand. And you know this to be true, right? If you've ever read, like, I love Romans, but there are some places in Romans where I'm like, I don't understand what he's saying here. Paul writes sometimes in these massive run-on sentences that have like 17 commas, and you have to read them, and you have to go back and read them again. And isn't it comforting to know that even Peter says, some things that Paul writes are hard to understand. That's comforting to me. And here's what that helps us with, too. We're never going to completely understand Scripture in its totality. I mean, we understand that, right? There's always got to be a mystery. There's always, there always has to be a, a submission of our hearts to, to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be arrogant enough to think that I'm going to have this all nailed down right now. Some of the things that Paul says are hard to understand. 
And then he says this, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, I want to point out two things in here. Number one, Peter says that the, the, ignorant, the ignorant and unstable, sorry about that, the ignorant, <laughs> stop. Well, there's your comedy in the sermon. Paul, Peter says, the ignorant and unstable twist them to their own destruction. Now, here's the reality. Scripture is never twisted because it's hard to understand. Scripture is twisted because of the hearts of the people who twist it. Do you understand? Like, we can, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we can be sure that even though Scripture is hard to understand, it doesn't mean that we will immediately take it and make it mean something that it does not. But Peter points out there are people who will twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. And he says, as they do the other scriptures. So the first thing is this. There will always be people who will twist the scriptures to their own destruction. But he also takes what Paul has written and what he has written, what Peter's written, and he puts it on the level with scriptures. He says, as they do the other scriptures. So it's important for us to know that what is life to some is death and destruction to others. What we as Christians draw life from in, in terms of the word might be death and destruction to those who, who twist it. But it also means that waiting well means that we have time to familiarize ourselves with God's word. And I know, I, I'm sure Pastor Jeremy says this all the time, and I say this all the time, both in the context of youth ministry or if I'm preaching, but I cannot emphasize enough, if you are not building your life on the word of God, you will fall. If you are not building your life on the full counsel of scripture, you will fall. I'm telling you, there are books and books and books and there are Christian bookstores filled with scads and scads of books. And none of them can ever come close to Scripture. Even if they're scripturally based. If the Bible is not your go-to all the time, if you are not finding yourself dwelling in the pages of Scripture, trusting that the same Holy Spirit that saved you can deliver God's truth to you, you will fall into error in some way, shape, or form. It's a promise. Peter actually says that. We're always in danger of turning from the truth in the midst of a waiting period because we get comfortable in the culture that we're in and we start to twist the scripture, especially when we're not staying in it constantly. Look at verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, he gives us a very stern warning, okay? In this waiting period, and you might say, if you're here this morning, you might say, well, I'm a Christian. In this waiting period, one of the things that God is allowing to happen is for our faith to be tested. Second Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you are really in the faith, unless you do not pass the test that Christ is not in you. What is he saying? In this waiting period, over time, each of us individually, we will be shown what's the reality of our hearts and what is the reality of our conversion. And I'm not saying this to fear monger. I'm just saying the reality is one of the reasons God gives us time, this waiting period, is to see whether or not we're truly in the faith. Now, it's not your obedience that makes you in the faith or not, but it is our obedience that shows us whether or not we truly belong to him. Amen? That's, that's, there is a display of our lives that shows whether or not we are truly believers. And Peter does say, we need to be a little worried about this. 
What is the, the way in which we will be sure that we know what the reality of our heart is and not fall from stability? Peter says it's to stay tied to Scripture, to stay tied to God's Word, not to twist it for our own use, but to submit ourselves to it, to live by it in increasing measure and increasing knowledge. Because here's the reality. Sometimes we believe, well, I've arrived. I've read a lot of scripture. I know, the, I know the Bible pretty well, or I know some of the things that it says, or I go to church on Sundays, and I go to a Bible study, and I see it, but I don't really keep up with, keep up with it every day of the week. But listen, when I believe I've arrived is usually when I become lazy and fall from security, right? When I think I'm, I'm basically good. It's in the scriptures, right? Take careful if you think you stand lest you fall. When we get proud about like, nah, I basically have a lot of knowledge, that's typically when we're going to fall, when we feel secure in ourselves. Spending time in close relationship with false teaching can upset our own stability. Waiting well means that we are drawing from the truth of God's word given to us by God's spirit. And I just want to say again, there is so much false teaching in, in current evangelicalism. Now, I don't know if you guys are, are, are aware, but there there is so much bad stuff, and I can call some of it out by name. There's a church in California called Bethel, okay? And if, you're, if you like this place and you're affiliated with it, I, I would love to talk to you more, but it is not preaching Christianity. They do, not, they, they do not preach the gospel in its purity, and they've begun to adapt even pagan practices of things like fortune-telling, and it, it's, it's quite ridiculous. But some people think that it's, it's able to be synchronized with Christianity, and, and there are so many books. It astounds me that Joel Osteen can be a bestseller. It astounds me because he doesn't say anything meaningful. Besides saying, like, if you believe, then God will give you good things. And if you told that to any of the apostles who were all martyred for the faith, they would laugh at you in your face. We have to be so careful, especially in our day and age, not to make Christianity a means of us feeling good in the moment. But in the midst of what could possibly be coming persecution or trial that we bear up under, that we endure because we know that what God has in store for us as believers is way better than anything that the world could give us. But we live with hope now, not because we can have our best lives now, but because our best life is yet to come. Amen? So we live in accordance with our future reality. I want to read you uh, just a quote from a, a book by a guy named Horatius Bonar. And Horatius Bonar was a, a theologian who has long passed away. But I want to direct you to something. There's a book called Follow the Lamb. And if you have a Kindle, it's free, right? You can even get it on Amazon. Get on Amazon. There's a, a Kindle book by Horatius Bonar, Follow the Lamb, free. Download it for free. It's amazing. It's awesome. But in this book, he says this. Your life is a book. It may be a volume of larger or smaller size, and conversion is but the title page or the preface. The book itself remains to be written, and your years and weeks and days are its chapters and leaves and lines. It is a book written for eternity. See that it be written well. It is a book for the inspection of enemies as well as friends. Be careful of every word. It is a book written under the eye of God. Let it be done reverently, without levity, yet without constraint or terror. Peter says that waiting well means the, the third thing he brings up is growing in grace. That we don't see as our lives as just something to get through, but that we take care to be diligent and live with intentionality 
for Jesus, specifically to know more and more and more of his grace. Look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can never stop growing in the grace of Jesus Christ because it never ends, right? There is no point in time in this in this reality, in this world, or in the next. Some people think, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out all these, I'm going to know all the things God knows. No, you won't, because even in your glorified body, you wouldn't have capacity for it. It's amazing to think about the fact that we draw from, from a well that will eternally never run dry. The end of verse 18 says, To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. We can draw from the grace of Jesus Christ on a daily basis now when we remind ourselves of the gospel, daily preaching the gospel to ourselves, that I am unworthy of salvation, that God is good to us, and even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me, and that by his Holy Spirit, he's made me alive. And I remind myself every day by repenting and going to the cross and saying the blood covers my sin, that every day I grow in that grace. Every day I experience it to a greater degree in hopes that one day I will get to experience the fullness of his grace day after day after day forever and ever and ever, which is the best eternity we could hope for, is to be an unbroken relationship with the God who created us. We can never stop growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. So we can wait well by viewing eternity as an extension of what Jesus has already begun in us. And as we live in this world, we experience this, what Christ called the superabounding grace or the superabounding life of his continued work in us. And it's not always pleasant and it's not always easily understood because of the effects of sinful desire on the course of this world. But we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus because there is no higher thing that we can achieve to or attain in this world or the next. And so I want to point you to one thing. I want, to, I want to point you to one thing. Peter says, go back to verse, chapter 1. I'm sorry, go back to chapter 1. Verse 12. Peter says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I find it amazing that right before Peter goes to be crucified upside down, as church history tradition says, that right before Peter knows that he's going to die, and what's the last thing he says? I will remind you until the moment I die to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, to increasingly know him and know him more. These are things that you know. I'm not telling you guys anything this morning that you don't know. It's relatively basic. But Peter says we always have to be reminded to draw from his grace, to live by his word, to grow in the qualities of holiness until Christ returns, until that moment where we see him face to face. That's exactly how Peter lived his life. And I would challenge all of us, myself primarily, I want to make 2017 a year that I can, that I can like, I want to make 2018 a year that at the end of next year I can look back on and say that day by day I grew in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I wasn't just kind of flitting my time away, but that I intentionally grew in grace that is extended to me by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we ask that, uh, that you would just remind us of these things that we already know, 
Um, Lord, we have a tendency to forget we are, we are terrible at waiting, and we are also terrible at remembering. Lord, this is the condition of our human hearts. And Father, I would just pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who has never encountered a relationship with you, who has never encountered that moment where they've seen their sin and they've seen the greatness of Jesus, and they have had that, uh, that breakdown moment where they submitted themselves and repented and believed upon your name, I would pray that, that you would open those hearts this morning. And Lord, for those of us who might find ourselves in sort of a waiting period where we're bogged down by the cares of this world, that you would remind us that, that no matter what age we're at, Lord, not to waste our time or waste our lives, but to be intentionally growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior every day increasing in the qualities that even Peter lays out in front of us because we have escaped the defilements of this world. We have been ushered into grace. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live as people who are daily seeking the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And Lord, in that, that you would give us great hope in knowing that none of this is meaningless. It's not just, uh, it's not just something that we have to do. It's something that in the process of waiting for Christ's return, we experience a tremendous amount of grace as we take our sin to the cross, repent, and are restored. And we give you all the glory, Lord, both now and forever, because there is no higher thing in the universe than your glory and your majesty. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.